0: All right, this week on the podcast, I'm joined by Len Edgerly. Len is a longtime podcaster, has a podcast called The Kindle Chronicles, with over 715 episodes. Been doing it for 15 years. Funny story how we met. I'll let you get to the full podcast for that part, but had an awesome conversation with him. Um, He interviews authors on his podcast on a semi-weekly basis, but he's also interviewed jeff bezos and a lot of amazon executives so he has that kind of connection too with the kindle and everything awesome conversation awesome guy um think you'll really enjoy it so this is the Randy force podcast if you can do me a favor you can subscribe on youtube app or spotify would really appreciate that and check us out on social media on instagram and facebook that'd be cool too so appreciate all the support thanks again for listening here's Lynn. All right, I'm joined by Len Edgerly. Len has a podcast called The Kindle Chronicles, has a lot more episodes than what I have, up to over 700 now, about 15 years, an old pro. So I'm happy to have you on, Len. Thanks for joining me.
1: Good to be here, Randy.
0: So we actually got connected through a podcast that I did with uh, John Laliberty, who has a real estate project going on in Biddeford that you were thinking about getting involved in at the time. We had a nice long phone conversation about Biddeford, Maine, where I'm from, and it wasn't until the end that you said you had a podcast. I was like, oh, that's cool. And then I looked it up, and I've been following it since, and I was like, you know what? I'd love to have Len on the podcast to talk about your podcasting journey, also get some tips from you too. So (laughs) hopefully you're ready for me.
1: I am, I am.
0: (laughs) So tell me about the podcast. Like I said, over 700 episodes, 15 years, Kindle Chronicles. How did that all get started? What made you want to do that?
1: You know, it it kind of snuck up on me. I, I went to an event. Uh, it was called Blogs and Dogs in Banff, Canada. Mm-hmm. I, I had probably retired. I, I worked at a gas company out in Denver, and I was kind of just looking around for how I was going to spend my time. and And so there was going to be about, you know, how do you do a good blog? Plus, there were going to be dog sled rides in the snow in Banff. So mm-hmm. what's not to like? And the first night there... There was a guy who had a little portable recorder, and he's interviewing people at the reception. And I said, well, what are you doing? And he said, well, this is for a podcast. I said, well, what's a podcast, you know? And, mm-hmm. and, and he kind of set me on it. And that night in my room, I made a little podcast of my own. And then I was just experimenting with it. I had something called the Pod Chronicles or different things. And I would just put up interviews, but I didn't really have a topic. But I was learning microphones, how to record, how to use lips and all the little elements of it, which turned out to be great preparation because when the Kindle came out in 2007, it just hit a lot of my buttons. I'd Isn't always loved tech. I've always been a reader and a writer. And the idea that this was sort of the future of books and reading, uh, it was kind of like, oh. That's what my podcast is going to be about, Now I'll call it the Kindle Chronicles, and I'll talk to people about the Kindle, mm-hmm. but I could do it once a week for the rest of my life because I'm so excited about this. And so that's how it started, J- July 26, uh, 2008 was when the first show was. I was at our cottage up in Ocean Park, Maine, mm-hmm. and uh, say, hey, this is episode one of the Kindle Chronicles, and I just put up episode 715 of, uh, last week. Yeah.
0: I listen to it. There are not a lot of podcasts that have that type of numbers of episodes. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. seven hundred fifteen is quite a quite a, a show of consistency, dedication. But like you said, you found a topic that you latched onto mm-hmm. and love. And like you said, you could be doing this for the rest of your life. I read an article that said you hope to get to a thousand or you hope to do it to was it twenty twenty forty four when you're yeah right
1: four years old. <laughs> why not? You know
0: well, <laughs> why not? But it is not as much work as people. You know, if you like talking to people, it's just, it's something that's enjoyable. And it's, it's not like it takes me 10 hours a week to produce an episode. And it's probably not the same for you, but, but getting back to that beginning part, you had no awareness of what podcasts were before that moment.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: I think they had been around for a couple of years and I honestly forget how I interacted with, with podcasts back then. Cause right now I listen on Spotify and it's super easy, but I believe it was still easy at the time, but I was very into podcasts back then. Um, did you myself. listen to Adam
1: Curry or who did you listen to?
0: I listened to Adam Carolla, actually. Oh, yeah. You know, Adam Carolla. He had, mm-hmm. a. I, I haven't listened to him in years, but he was one of the first people that had like a really well produced, you know, almost like a, felt like a talk show, but for, for podcasts and you knew what you were getting every time Had recurring guests and kind of side co-hosts and all that stuff. So, and then I listened to a guy by the name of Bill Simmons. I don't know if you ever heard of Bill Simmons, but he's mm-hmm. a sports guy. You know, mm-hmm. so those are two guys I've been listening to for probably as long as you've been doing podcasts because mm-hmm. I was kind of in on the ground floor as well. But I wonder what your setup was at the time. Was it just this mic, <laughs> like a mic setup, and you kind of interview people in person? And then,
1: you know, I think the first one I, I was pretty much doing it remotely, probably by Skype. Mm-hmm. It seems like my first microphone I remember was a snowball, blue snowball mic, pretty inexpensive, mm-hmm. but decent quality. And yeah, mo- most of them. Bertunde Thurston was my first guest, and I'm sure I, I was talking to him on Skype and recording it that way with my setup and just feeding the USB mic into my Mac laptop. And I, I was using maybe GarageBand in those days. or uh, So I had, I had the, the basics of it. And then, you know, any chance I get to buy a new microphone, I'll do it now. So I, <laughs> I, I, I know I said, you, have great, you have a great voice
0: for podcasts. Oh, I'm sure I told you that before. So I'm jealous. <laughs> Uh, Um, after 715 episodes, you've had a ton of guests. I've noticed there's some people that are kind of recurring guests for you You had on a few times outside of the Amazon side of things, which we will get to as far as just authors that you focus on. Is there some people that really strike you as being very memorable?
1: You know, there's been a a number. I I had a chance to interview a poet that I admired, John Ashbery, who passed away a couple of years ago. That was quite a a moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another one that I've had on a few times that Dean Kuntz, who's, you know, I think he sold 500 million books in his career. He's in his 70s. And I hadn't read anything by him. I knew the name, but through Amazon Publishing, I got connected with him because he he was one of the people Amazon was, the kind of people Amazon was hoping would switch from the big five publishers to Amazon Publishing, which is their Mm -hmm. imprint. And I think Dean Koontz is the biggest fish they ever landed because he's huge. And so the first time I interviewed him, he was out in California. I just liked him. He 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 was uh, very quirky and wry, unpredictable. I I think those are guests I, I remember the most as ones that mm-hmm. kind of surprise me. No. And. Then he's very prolific, so he'd have another book come out, and they'd say, hey, Len, you want to talk to Dean again? I've talked to him about three times. I think I'm supposed to talk to him again with another book coming up. So it gets to be one of these things where, I mean, we're not friends, but we know each other, and I think he enjoyed talking to me, and I enjoyed talking to him. He did a lot of talking about his his golden retrievers. and uh, he, That's also the interview as I remember it now. I think it was one of the most painful interviews I had at one point because I made the mistake of thinking I was more important to him than I was. That you know, Dean Kuntz and I, you know, like we we grok each other. You know, we're we're into this, and and I don't know the 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 topics get a little personal. Maybe we're talking about getting old or dogs or something. And and when I finished, I just felt embarrassed. I felt like you know, I I. I got caught out somewhere I don't like to be, and I remember we were, we were up at Ocean Park in the time, and I told my wife, I said, oh, God, I think I just blew an interview here. And then when I listened to it, it was fine. You know, anybody that hadn't been in my head would have thought, well, that was just kind of a, you know, good interview, interesting. So, you know, that's funny that that he would show up when you ask memorable Mm -hmm. interviews, partly because it was one of my, one of the ones I had the the hardest time sleeping after I had done it. And then it turned Mm -hmm. out to be fine. You know, I have to laugh because
0: I've had those similar type things on, I'm sure, much different or maybe smaller scale where I like, man, that interview went. Awful. Like I feel like I should apologize for for the way that went. And then you know, through editing, it's not as bad. And then people will see me someplace and be like, oh, "I listened to your podcast with so and so. It was great." I was like, "Really? I'm like, oh, terrible." You know. So I guess we are just super hard on ourselves yeah. sometimes. And you know, you never know. Like you said, no one's in your head at the time. But but I've been there. So Dean is. I say Dean as if I know him, but Dean Koontz is the name that I recognize or one of the names I recognize going through the list and notice that you had him on a bunch of times. So it's interesting to hear that. It sounds like Amazon helps with part of the booking process too, or?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, in those days, I, I had a good relationship with the people at Amazon Publishing and I, and I love Amazon Publishing. I think that the things that they've been doing, especially for someone who's a big fan of eBooks, like I am, they're pricing them right. You know, it's the, the big five are selling Ebooks at ridiculous prices, 15 yeah. bucks for a, something that it costs them zero to print another yeah. copy of. So Amazon Publishing was just kind of, I really appreciated them. So when they would have somebody that they, I think Patricia Cornwell, they, they were landing some pretty big names and, and they would reach out to me and say, hey, do you want to talk to this person? Mm-hmm. What I found about booking with authors is that when an author has a book out or it's about to come out. They're, they're very open to being on anybody's show. I mean, you know, all of their events are not on The View or The Today Show. If you say, I've got a podcast, it's a real podcast, I've had a few guests that you might recognize, can I talk to you about your book? 95% of the time, the answer is yes. And, you know, I reached out to Neil deGrasse Tyson recently thinking, I don't think I'm going to get him on the show because he's really well-known. Yeah, sure enough, after some iterations with the publicist, it was set up. Um, you know, and, and and I've had other kinds of guests. What I love about the podcast, since I don't have to, you know, it doesn't put food on the table or anything. It's, it's It's basically a hobby. I can see an article by somebody on the Internet and think, boy, that's a really interesting thing. And just reach out to the person and say, read your article and I've got a podcast. I'd like to talk to you. So... Those, those aren't, you know, that's maybe 50% of those pan out, you know, but I've never run out of ideas or opportunities for guests. And I've always been grateful that so many people have just said, yeah, and they never ask, well, how many listeners do you have? What are your metrics? No, if, if, if I reach out and in my approach, I show that I'm familiar with their work and I, that, uh, that, that, a lot of people just think, boy, somebody that's done me the honor of asking about my work and wants to talk about it, you know, what's not to like about that? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I was wondering about Neil deGrasse Tyson in particular, because that's a guy that is very, very well known. Yeah. And, you know, he's on, I feel like he's been on Joe Rogan podcast before, some of those big podcasts with millions and millions of listeners. But like you said, you just reach out, you have a certain approach. Obviously, you have 700 and something episodes at this point and yeah. talked to Jeff Bezos. So there's a certain amount of credibility there. But, um, I have found even on my much l- smaller level that pe- people just appreciate the opportunity to talk about themselves yeah. or share a story or share their wisdom or things that they've learned over the years. So I'm not as surprised as I used to be, but earlier in the process, I was definitely surprised by how many people said yes. When I asked them to, to talk for a half hour, I mean, it's not that the barrier to to doing it is not that big anyways. You just got to dedicate a half hour yeah, and you know, have a webcam. And so it's, it's been cool that those people have been open to that too, but on the complete opposite side of things, you're interviewing local level authors or people that are mm-hmm. much smaller, right. who was the gentleman that I think I emailed you about the other day? I think it was Nick Fuller, Nick Fuller Hogan yeah. mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. another more recent episode for a local main author, but that was great, totally different than Neil yeah. deGrasse Tyson or Dean Coons, but I also found that interesting as well
1: yeah I, that one I recorded on the sidewalk outside the elements and yep. uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that one that and, and the other thing i've 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 learned or you know, the I, I think I went into this thinking, well, a best-selling author is like a, a different category of fish. Of you know, an author that's maybe sub self-published or smaller poster. But but I've I've so rarely had a bad author interview that I end up thinking, you know, anybody who has worked for a year or however long it takes to write a book, they have all they have done something worth listening to, and it doesn't matter how many millions of copies they sold. <clears throat> Uh, it, it's unusual for someone to, to do that. And so, you know, and then I read the book and I, I, I do a lot of preparation. I, I like preparing almost as much as I like doing the interviews. And, you know, Nick's a good example. I mean, he's, he's an established author. He's on his way. And, but it was just fun to talk to his, his process about his process and it feels like just kind of an honor to be able to talk to an author because I, I, I've never written a book myself, you know, and I, 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 tend to still look up at people that have said, yeah, I'm going to write a book. And then they actually do it. You know, these, these, these are people worth listening to.
0: agree a hundred percent. I think writing a book is still a big accomplishment in anyone's yeah. life. And I had a, I had a friend on the podcast, one of my earlier episodes who had written a book himself, and I was just so proud of him. And I just yeah. was so happy to have him come on to talk about, you know what that whole process was like and what the book was about and it's there's a level of commitment to it that i don't still don't fully understand even talking to him or listening to some of the interviews you did it's quite a thing so one Mm -hmm. of the things that struck me about nick in particular's interview was I don't know if it's the editing process or I'm probably using the wrong words, but there was talk of, if you remember, he he did, they had McDonald's still in this world that he was talking about Mm -hmm. and how he alluded to like nuggets, but he didn't say what kind of nuggets they were. And then I I think the person that was editing had questions just about the thought process. And like, you're really trying to like make sure things are consistent and that they make sense. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing that there's people that would read that work and have that type of suggestions. But I guess that's what it is when you're writing a fiction book.
1: Yeah, I was impressed with that too the, yeah. the the level of and that's a big book so you know the 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 work they put into getting the right description of the nuggets was just one part of a, a really long project.
0: It was just amazing that someone like reading it and was like, you know what, I got to make sure that we're consistent on like what kind of nuggets these are. Yeah. And if you listen to the interview, I'll, I'll probably share that specific interview when I post this. It, it just made me think, like, wow, this is cool. And I did ultimately buy his book. I think I might have mentioned good, as well. good. I, I uh, always
1: <laughs> love it when there's a the author is rewarded with at least one sale of a book from talking right. with me.
0: Well, I love it. Do you try to read? I May mean, it be overwhelming to read the book every
1: time before the interview, or, or is that what you do? I... You know, I do. I, I can't remember a time when I've had an author on that I didn't actually finish the book. I, I've had times when I I started a book, and I had just a few times, and I, I didn't like the book. So I called, you know, reached out to the publicist and says, you know, I, I just don't think this is for me, and I'm going to have to bow out of the interview. Yeah. But if I've committed to it, and I've done enough prep to think, yeah, this is something I want to read, I think that's just from my education. I mean, in high school, I I went to a prep school in the Boston area. And the idea that you would try to turn in a paper or do anything without having read the book, I mean, you know, you might as well just go drive off a bridge if you're going to be that kind of a person. So it's kind of built in. It's a silly
0: question, actually, that I ask you in hindsight, because of course, I mean, this is the Kindle Chronicles. You're having authors on talk about their books, like as if you would not have read them and as if you would even admit
1: to it. Right. <laughs> right, 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 right. I may have just made up that last answer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, no, it obviously makes sense, but it's cool. I guess it gives you something to, to focus on reading between episodes. looks like your cadence is every couple weeks. you do an episode?
1: Well, you know, when I, when Re-read. I set myself free from the weekly, every Friday for a while, I thought maybe once a month. And now it's unpredictable. I think I went two or three months before I did the the Neil deGrasse Tyson mm-hmm. one. And I, I'm i just waiting for an opportunity to talk to somebody. And if they come every week, that's fine. And if they come every five months, that's fine too. So mm-hmm. it's going to be episodic.
0: To shift gears a little bit, you also focus on Amazon products and you have this relationship with Amazon. So I want, I want to talk a little bit about that. But actually, before I get to that point, what is it that you loved about the Kindle in particular? you know you obviously named the podcast after but there was a love of this amazon product when you started tell me a little bit about that
1: well it started uh, a little before that and and there was a a device called the rocket book and it was an electronic book and it came out i don't know two three years before the kindle i think amazon might have tried to buy the company and i just thought this is this is so right, you know, to put a book in your hand. And I think, man, that book, that that product could hold 10 books at a time, if you can imagine, as opposed to a thousand on a Kindle now. So I got really excited about it. And I was on a board, the Western States Arts Federation, kind of an arts, regional arts agency based in Denver, where I was living. And at the end of the meetings, and these are kind of you know, impressive gatherings of people. They, they'd say, okay, everybody has something they want to, kind of show and tell for, you know, that's of interest to them. And I had my rocket book and I held my rocket book up and I said, This is gonna change everything. This this thing is like there's it's a digital book. I mean, and they're at that time they say, okay, yeah, Land he's always excited about something. But I felt like I had sort of, you know, stepped out and the rocket book failed it just didn't go anywhere and and then when amazon said well we have something called the kindle i kind of went you know well fool me once my shame on you fool me twice shame on me and and it took a while for me to think oh and i didn't get one right away so i had to wait because there was 6 months where you couldn't buy them and then when i got it i thought oh yeah this is it and i think it's just because i've always loved gadgets and i've always loved reading so it's like two. It's like if you had two girlfriends, you know, that were really different and somehow they just became the same girlfriend. It's like, you'd go crazy, you know, you'd lose yep. your mind and that's kind of what happened. Amazon seems like the right company to bring the Kindle to market. Who was the Rocket
0: Book associated with? Was it like a Barnes and Nobles product or just like a totally different third-party type company? or
1: I think it was third-party. It was like Nouveau Media and they got acquired by somebody. Some of the players in that, I don't know if they ended up working for Tesla. There's some names, if you go back and look at that, that were notable. And I I think it was just a little too early. And by the time Amazon developed the... I mean, the first Kindle was was sort of a a laugh. I mean, it had this strange wheel that you would use to move. And it it looked like somebody said it looked like it had been designed by uh, Soviet engineers in the 50s. You know, (laughs) just like it was not pretty. But, and and so it, it, you know, it evolved over time and yeah, that's fun to remember those days.
0: But it's, it is a great product and I, I have one too. I got a bunch of books on it. I do love it. I love that. I can read it at the beach or poolside someplace and it doesn't matter the angle of the sun. You can, you can read it great and everything, whatever you're feeling, you can bounce back and forth between books and Mm -hmm. make notes and all that sort of stuff. So it is a great product. So I, I could see why you fell in love with it and, and named the podcast after, but it also led to this relationship with Amazon or quasi relationship with Amazon. Yep. I think you've interviewed over 50 executives,
1: yeah, done a bunch of product reviews, mm-hmm.
0: even interviewed Jeff Bezos. So actually, what what was that like? The Jeff Bezos situation? You've interviewed him a couple times, haven't you? A few times. Yeah.
1: yeah. Once in 2016, they reached out to me at that point. I'd been doing the show for a while and I said, would you like to come to Seattle and interview be Jeff Bezos? And I said, Well, let me check my calendar first. I don't know if I'm. I might be busy. <laughs> I said, yeah, right. I'll be. I'll be right out. And he was a nice guy. He, you know, I, I. I think I was expecting some kind of a master of the universe, but he showed up. I think he had a yogurt, and we were in this conference room that looked like a, you know, a classroom at a community college somewhere. Nothing fancy at all, and it was a good conversation. I remember some of the details of. I, I had uh, a recorder of some kind, and then I think I had a, a smartphone, probably an iPhone. And he said, "Well, what what do you got going here?" So, well, I've got uh, you know, I've got this, and then I've got a backup in case you know there's any kind of a problem. And he said, "Well, that's smart, you know." And you could see him thinking, uh, sort of evaluating the care with which I was getting ready for the interview. Uh, and I thought he was. Uh, you know, I've I've interviewed some people from the corporate world and I've worked in the corporate world. You can kind of feel that corporate voice coming at you sometimes. They've maybe been prepped. One, one of the clues that I, I've I've noticed is some people in a corporate environment they make they, they say that was a good question, but then they'll say it like five times in the interview. Right? And I said, You need to go back to the coach. It's really kind of nice if you can acknowledge that a question is good. Every we all like to but when you do it five times, you just, but anyway, Bezos was not that way. I, I felt like I was kind of talking to a friend or somebody that didn't have an inflated idea of himself and very intriguing, you know, understanding and insight into how the Kindle came about. And it's a passion project. He's, he's a reader and his wife, his ex-wife is a novelist. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was it was nice to have a sense of, of who he was as a person. And since at that point, you know, I was really deep into the Kindle, it felt like, you know, looking behind the curtain to find out, well, how did this thing come into the world? Well, it came into the world because a guy who was really smart and really hardworking and all this and innovative, he just wanted it. And he mm-hmm. wanted it to be, you know, wireless. You can don't have to plug it into your computer you can buy books over the air all of these things that he set out for that lab one 2016 kind of impossible things which came out of his own uh, passion for Mm -hmm. the thing and uh, that that's always i think the kindle is really at the center of amazon's dna and sometimes i worry well will they keep supporting it and I'm sure as long oh, as Jeff Bezos is alive, nobody at Amazon is going to say, hey, I get a great idea. We'll, you know, sell the Kindle division to Rakuten or something. And it, it's, just, it's just part of the, the, the makeup of the company.
0: Yeah. It seems like, you know, what the iPhone is to Apple is what the Kindle yeah. is to Amazon. So mm-hmm. that would be a sad day if that ever happened. But so every interaction you've ever had with him was related to the Kindle, obviously, like a different time of different launches or different versions coming out of it.
1: Yeah. And I only had two interviews with him. I, sure. I was hoping it was going to be every four years, but it, yep. let's see. So if it was 2016, I, th- I probably reached out in 2020 and they said, no, he's too busy. Yeah. And, you know, maybe I'll have a chance to talk to him once uh, again. Yeah. So the two times I spoke with him were strictly Kindle related. Yep.
0: And you have done, I guess, product events over the yeah, years. Yeah. Those are yeah. so what, fun. What's happened, like?
1: Well, you know, these are. I remember the first Fire tablet that was in near San Diego, I think. And they're always exciting. I mean, it's kind of like an Apple launch, you know. But when you're there and you get your little name tag and you go in and and then afterward you get to play with the stuff and, and try them out. And in recent times, they've been a little more subdued, a little more sophisticated. The last one I went to in New York uh what was that about anyway that was there was an HQ2 and they were releasing oh, oh it was a it was their new product launch so they had a bunch of stuff and the most exciting thing was they're going to be adding i can't say her name because she's here mm-hmm. the ability to chat with a yeah yeah, uh, yeah. and so that was significant in some other products as well um, so you'll go to like home product launches
0: too not just yeah. Kindle related stuff but that yeah. line of-
1: Almost done. Ring mm-hmm. camera stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And they they tend to think of me just as Kindle, but I, I got wind of this thing and I, I reached out to one of the people I've, I've worked with and I said, hey, I'd love to go to that new products thing. And it turns out there was the, the word Kindle never getting even mentioned to that thing, but there was still yeah. a lot to talk about. Um, and the most recent version of the
0: Kindle was the Kindle Scribe. Yeah. And oh, God. I love that thing. Do you love it? Oh. I haven't updated in a few years. I still have one of the just very plain, I guess, Kindles, but maybe yeah. it is time for a change
1: is it very responsive? I know you can write on it now. Like, yeah, I mean, the thing that I do my journal, my journaling had kind of lapsed, but it's so fun to write, you know, longhand on a journal on it. And then I can upload the stuff to my computer. I can print them out. I've got a great big thick binder of my journal pages. And sometimes if I'm at a meeting, I'll take notes. And, but then at the same time, I can read whatever Kindle book I'm reading and it's, it's kind of nice to have the eight by 10 view of it. And then you. So it's bigger. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. It's It's like an iPad. Yeah. It's let's see. So this is the, has a nice case in a, so it's, yeah, it it would be about the size of an iPad. Yeah. So that's
0: like, and it looks like it has one of those same type of screens as
1: mm -hmm. any
0: angle of lighting and all that stuff. It looks fine.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so when I'm reading my Kindle books, and I I've had other tablets. I tried the Remarkable. Kobo had one that I tried. There was one th- a thing called Books, and they were all very elegant and nice, in some ways nicer than the scribe for writing. But mm-hmm. the scribe's the only one I can read my Kindle books on. So it it wins without even breaking yeah. a sweat. I'll we'll have to check that out. I've never even
0: held it. I mean, I wonder if they sell it in stores or you have to only buy it on off Amazon. Like a place like Best Buy now has like a section of Amazon products. Yeah, I, I don't you know that I've it. ever like actually seen the scribe.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd recommend it. I think you might love it. Take a look at
0: it. Awesome. Well, I have a question for you. And it's as a fellow podcast host, do you have any tips for me that you can give me how to grow my podcast or improve my podcast or anything you've learned over the years?
1: Well, I think from my experience, a suggestion I would make is whatever you thought you were doing when you started the show, Mm -hmm. don't, don't be afraid to abandon it or or go in some new directions. Because in my case, it started out the Kindle and it was heavily in Amazon. And now it's just, I, I, I distilled it to, uh, it's conversations that I like. And I can have a good conversation with anybody and it doesn't ever have to mention the word Kindle. Mm-hmm. But it took a long time for me to sense what was the real driver that spark joy to use the Marie Kondo phrase. Mm -hmm. And so if you've got, and, and then the other thing that happened, I I got a little tired. I always have tech tips. I'd have to come up with, you know, Kindle Amazon news and the parts of the show that I just sort of started going through the motions on turned out not to be essential. And Mm -hmm. the parts of it that I loved, uh, just never disappointed me. And, and so, you know, you know, if you're going to be doing this another five, 10 years or until you're my age, I would bet that you'll find a a path through it that leads to something that uh, maybe wasn't evident to you when you first started out or maybe even now.
0: Yeah. No, that makes sense. And I can kind of see that developing after, I think this will be 78 or 79 I definitely value the conversations and i think that is the part that is consistent between all of the different episodes i do it certainly just varies from topic to topic but i do value the conversations. so we'll see but it's been fun so far and i can only hope that i can make it to 700 plus episodes <laughs> like you
1: you know well how how do you see your topic as uh, biddeford and Saco focus there's a geographic thing that's essential for it
0: i don't there's definitely a lot of that just given that's what I know. That's where I'm from. And that's a lot of the people I know are, are from there or involved in the community or, you know, in the area, but I don't know that I would want to do that on every episode. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, so I, I don't see that that being the focus. I mean, I'm also in, I'm a, <clears throat> I do mortgages. I may have told you in the past. Mm-hmm. So there's always that real estate component of things. I enjoy sports and movies. So there's always like that component of things. A lot of people I work with are entrepreneurs and have businesses locally. So I want to promote their business and give them an opportunity to share their story. So it's, you know, the only thing that is consistent between all those threads is just the fact that to me, these people are interesting and have a story to tell, but it isn't all one topic. Um, So I feel like I'm probably a little bit limited in that sense, in terms of like potential for growth, because everything that I read about podcasts, like their listeners have to know what to expect, I think for the most part. And in, in my case, there isn't that. And maybe that's okay. Maybe that's what it's going to be. And I enjoy doing this and making new relationships. I mean, here we are. We probably wouldn't be having this conversation otherwise. Mm-hmm. I've had a bunch of other conversations like that. I've gotten business through having my podcast. And maybe that's what it is for me. And it just ends up being a hobby for a while. But I am interested in growing and, you know, it's just kind of the way that I am. I like to see things move forward, you know. So we'll see if I ever get there. But I'm still kind of finding what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I definitely understand what you're saying, mm-hmm.
1: you know. There's a conference. conference. Have, have you ever heard of this Agents of Change conference up in Portland? That, I have. You know, I, I used to pick up ideas for promoting my show and at those kinds of events. And I, I get a lot of stuff from those podcasters, uh, events. And uh, have, you, have you gone to any of those kinds of things?
0: No. Who's the person that runs that Agents of Change I feel like my brother knows that
1: guy. Yeah, God. yeah, I can picture. Uh, him, I don't, but want I...
0: Put, I don't want to put you on the spot, but anyways, yeah, I have heard about this. I have a personal connection to the person that I think runs it, mm-hmm. and um, I think I do want to check some stuff out like that and do some yeah. networking in that and see where it goes. <laughs> you know. But thanks for mentioning it. And honestly, I appreciate you coming on. I you're down in Florida right now, so <laughs> taking the half hour to
1: chat and. Kind yeah, I could you, be playing pickleball right now, but that that happened earlier. So did you play every day? or Oh yeah, my wife got me into it, and I I I love it. I I played tennis when I was a kid, but I've never been an athlete. I got weak yeah. knees, and but I put on my braces, and I laugh because sometimes it feels like it is a sport that you can play at any age. And <laughs> uh, I don't know if I've actually seen it, but I could imagine some old dude with his walker, you know, going up to the edge of the court and then coming yeah. out. And then, and some of these old guys, when they play, the, they don't run around. But if a ball comes anywhere near them, they will hit it back. And they will hit it back at a place that you're not standing in the court. And I thought, that's great. I can play this when I'm 90 years old and just have a ball.
0: And your wife can play. And yeah. so my dad plays every day, mostly. Oh. And I she was supposed to go this morning and play with him. But I hurt my calf in a, in a race last week. So I took the week off. But there's people all ages and men and women. And there's a a gentleman that plays where I play that is in a wheelchair. He's one of the best guys there. He plays uh, in the wheelchair. He's in a wheelchair, you know, one of those more like sports type wheelchair, but he can hit with both hands. When someone is playing in a wheelchair, they have one extra bounce to hit the ball. So instead of one bounce, they have two, like you can bounce twice and they can hit it. But like, it's amazing what he can do. And what you think you need like you think you need to be a good athlete to be good at it and you really don't like <laughs> obviously right. that helps but you know you can get by just fine with mm-hmm. accuracy and and being able to hit it soft and it's a ton of fun so yeah love it love that you play
1: good well uh-huh. i look forward to we did decide to buy one of those units that in john's company it's going to be ready for us march of 2025 and yep. so i hope our paths will cross when i'm a, a fellow resident up there
0: Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. I'm excited for you. So yep, yeah, I live close by. So maybe grab a cup of coffee at Elements where you met Nick and <laughs> would love to stay in touch. So I appreciate you
1: taking the time. Good. Me too. Thanks, Randy.